Open your Bibles. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Okay, uh, on the lighter, lighter things. Um, today is a very important day around the world. Do you guys know why? Today is the last day of the World Cup, said seven people. <laughs> the World Cup, in case you don't know what this thing is, that the entire globe is going crazy about, is soccer, football. Someone's like, I don't know even what we call it. It's, we, it's different things. Yeah, um, it's, it's the World Cup is happening. I don't know anything about soccer, pretend to know anything about soccer, or pretend to be interested. But the world has been talking about soccer a lot lately, and actually not for the World Cup. They've been talking about a totally different soccer team, and maybe you've heard more about this one. Um, a few days ago, rescue divers pulled the last of 13 members of the Thai youth soccer team, the Wild Boars, out of an impossible cave. Have you heard about this? Yeah, amen. And this story, this story has gripped the world. It seems like it's been on TV like 24-7 and all across social media. And um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, this is normally the moment in the service where I'd make some dumb joke. Like, you don't know about the Thai soccer team? What, have you been living in a cave the past two weeks? <laughs> but that's too soon, right? This is way too soon. That's not a good joke. So I'm not going to make that joke. That would be unwise. Some of you don't, don't actually know what I'm talking about, and that's okay because I'll, I'll share with you. There's uh, a soccer team went exploring in a cave nearby after one of their scrimmages on June 23rd. June 23rd, there were a bunch of 11 to 16-year-old boys along with their 20-something coach, and they went exploring in a cave, and in, in Thailand, um, the caves are a little dangerous this time of year. Actually, everybody tells you this is a very bad idea because flash floods can come and the roots are kind of up and down and they can get clogged with water and can actually trap you. And that's exactly what happened to these boys. They, um, the rains came. They closed parts of the cave route. They, they covered them in water and, and the boys were trapped inside. And it wasn't for another nine days that British divers would discover the boys all alive, all of them, all alive, and uh, their coach was alive too, but, but um, nine days, parents, can you imagine nine days? I think at the week mark, my stomach would be so unsettled, I don't know what I'd be doing, um, but two days later, they get word that everybody's alive, miraculously, and yet, though they were alive, the rescue effort required divers and agencies from all around the world to lend support. You can go online, find details and pictures all on any news outlet. Um, it was an event that, in its peril, brought the entire world together. And last week, we kicked off a four-week series here in the middle of summer where we're looking at the idea of lostness. We've called this series Safe and Sound, and the timing of this cave rescue and what we already had on the calendar to talk about today is what I think ought to be called a pastor's dream. Because this week, worry gave way to joy when the efforts to save the boys' lives have, for the most part, been completed. They are safe and sound. And this is a gripping story because it pulls at all the right heartstrings. Here we have innocent boys, innocent youth that are helpless. They're trapped by their own folly. They're in great peril and in need of someone to come down to them and rescue them and bring them up out of darkness and into the light of day. They are sick and in need of a doctor. They are hungry. They needed someone to feed them. They are lost and they needed to be found. Like you can't make this stuff up. And if you're new to church or new-ish to church and you're like, man, this guy's really amped up about these poor kids, 
Well, well, the reason is because that storyline I just shared about these Thai, this, this Thai soccer team is, is actually a, a very ancient, old, and often repeated storyline that's found in the Bible, namely that our God is a God who seeks and saves those who are lost. And that's, that's what I want to look at today in Luke chapter 15, that God is in the business of finding the lost and bringing them safe and sound to their home. And today, as you think about this, I hope you realize that you have someone who has rescued you in your time of need, just like these boys have had someone rescue them in their time of need. We find it in Luke chapter 15. I think you're already there. I hope you're already there. Um, whether you're flipping pages or pixels, join me in Luke 15 verse 3 today. Now look at what Jesus says. So he told them this parable, this parable. What man of you, this is Jesus' words, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? We can actually just stop right there. This is a very simple story that Jesus is going to set up a very um, complex and amazing truth. And if you know, uh, if you're kind of a church person, you've read Luke 15 before, you know that typically in Luke 15 we have three stories. Historically, we've called them three parables. A parable is a, is a story that illustrates a spiritual reality that's supposed to teach us a deeper meaning. Jesus tells parables all the time. They're, they're everyday occurrences that have a really deep, profound truth to them. And so in Luke 15, we have the, the, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. That's typically how we think about this in church worlds. But notice just verse 3 for a second. So he told them this parable, and in the Greek it's emphatically singular. Actually, all of Luke 15 is one parable. One parable, and not three separations, but actually four acts. And I don't have the mental capacity in 30 minutes to explain to you four acts of Luke 15. My head would explode. I'd have an aneurysm, and so would you. And so we're actually just going to look at Acts 1 and Acts 2 today. We're going to split this chapter in half and look at the first two acts of this chapter and come back to the second two in the coming weeks. Is this a good, good plan? You have no say in the matter, so that's okay. <laughs> Luke splits it up this way. He tells first a story. Act 1 is a story about a shepherd who has lost a sheep. And in Act 1, Jesus relates his outlook on humanity like a shepherd who is lost something that he's supposed to be guarding. And Jesus kind of says, like, which of you, if you have a hundred of something, call it a sheep, and one of them goes away, you wouldn't just, like, slough it off and call it a tax write-off and move on with your life, but you would actually go out of your way, put everything at risk to go and find the one thing so that your thing that you had before might all be whole. Which man of you wouldn't do? He, he's essentially said, you absolutely would do this. And we here see a very simple story but for those who hear what Jesus is alluding to, who can have understanding and eyes to see it, it's rich with implications about the joy of God and the risks of our shepherd. This is a story very much about the risks of our shepherd. Now, look, let's, let's just call a spade a spade. I've never watched sheep. Have you? Like, kind of thank God for that, right? Like, some of you have watched paint dry. That seems like the same thing, right? I've never watched sheep, but I understand the jobs a little bit. The, the job can always be boiled down to one word, right? Keep. Keep. Keep the sheep alive. Keep the sheep together. Just keep them. And there's a shepherd. You're a sheep keeper. You're a keeper of sheep. It's just one word. If only your job was so simple, you could say it in one word. I just keep. That's what I do. I keep the sheep. 
But, but here's the problem is that sheep are notoriously prone to wander. Sheep are the most mindless of all creatures. In fact, those who love them the most describe them the harshest. It's amazing to think that people love sheep, but um, they do. And they, they call them the dumbest animals on the planet. And you thought those were cats. proud of myself for that one. No, no, you, you, here's, why, here's why sheep are dumb. Because from infancy, when the moment they're born, they are trained to follow the sheep in front of them. Just follow the sheep in front of them. And if you ever noticed that sheep, if you look at a sheep, they got eyes on the side of their heads. They're not like, they don't see like we do, they see this way. And so to follow the one that's in front of them means they're going to be looking this way and then they're going to be looking this way and then looking this way and looking this way. And if ever you see the snowy uh, field sheep tracks, you will never see a straight line. All the sheep look drunk. Okay? They're, they're all wandering to and fro. And what are they doing? They're programmed to turn their mind off and just follow the leader. They are they're flock animals. They like to be together. They like to feel the sense of community, so to speak. They, they, they feel anxious when they're by themselves. So I know a couple of you are into the, the sheep hunting business, not hunting like, but maybe, maybe you are, but, but you're looking for a sheep to raise in your backyard. You need like five of them. If you get one, they're going to feel alone and they're going to feel anxious. You get two, three, four, that's, that's not very good. You need five to make a flock. Do you know that a flock is five? I just made that up. Maybe it's not. <laughs> but I do know that sheep have to be in five or more. And so this guy's got a hundred sheep, a hundred sheep, pretty good flock, huh? Yeah. How many do you have, man? You've got none. So he's got a hundred, and, and I don't know, because sheep like to flock, I don't know how often the shepherd would have had to do that thing where he had to do his managerial duty of the day to say, all right, I got to count them all up, make sure they're all still here. But we can imagine this shepherd at the end of his day going 96, 97, 98, 99. <sighs> got to start all over. And maybe you've close out a cash register drawer at the end of your shift before and it's not matched. Um, you know the perspiring angst that comes over you as you rush to count it all again. And here we see the shepherd's going again. He's like, surely I made a mistake. Surely I, uh, kind of sheep's so boring, i got to focus. And he goes, 96, 97, 98, 99. And sure enough, number 100 is missing. I once asked a friend of mine who owns a couple of apartment buildings how business was going. And he said it was awesome. And I was like, wow, nobody ever describes to me your business as being awesome, but you have. So tell me, why is it awesome? He says, well, I own so many apartment buildings, it's just become very easy for me right now. And he said, you know, most people become landlords, they have one house. And so you have to have a tenant, otherwise you have 0% of your properties are inhabited. And 0% income is not good. Said, so maybe you branch out, you get two houses, and then you have one person leave. All of a sudden, you have 50% income, and 50% is not what we're in the business for. He goes, when I got to 100 units, and I had one family move out, I didn't even feel a problem. He goes, and now I just multiply that a couple of times, and I'm, I feel like my business just takes care of itself. And don't be jealous, don't be angry, but this is what's going on for this guy, and it's kind of awesome. And so we, in our American capitalistic mindset, might think, well, dude, you've got 100 sheep. What's losing one? 1%. Really, like, what's the big deal? You just cut your losses, move on, and have, be happy that the 99 are still healthy, right? And yet Jesus says, this is not the way of the shepherd. 
The shepherd doesn't think of it as a plus-minus game. The, the shepherd says, I have 100. I must keep 100. This is my job. And so I will leave everything to go get the one. It doesn't really, the economics of it don't really make sense for us. But the shepherd, Jesus says, will certainly go and risk everything after the one that was lost. Luke uses this word, lost. I, I, actually, he's one of only two biblical authors to use this word in the Greek that, that means lost. He uses it again in Luke chapter 19 where Jesus gives his mission statement. He says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Yeah. Do you know who the other biblical author is that uses this word lost? It's the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel, in chapter 34, God tells him to chastise the shepherds of Israel, which was not just like the people keeping sheep. It was the leaders of Israel, the people who were ruling over Israel. God says, yell at them for me because the sheep have gone astray and they have not found that which is lost. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11, God says this. Look at, look at what he says. This is incredible. God says, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. So, so in Ezekiel, the under-shepherds could not have cared less about the things of God. And God, the over-shepherd, could not have cared more about his sheep coming back home. And notice how Jesus says the end of the parable, Luke 15, verse 5. This is what happens when the shepherd goes and puts everything at risk, leaving all of his uh, flock in the wilderness to go look for the one. Look at how this ends. Verse 5. And when, everybody say when. Not if. Thank God our shepherd is not an if he finds me shepherd, but he's a when he finds me shepherd. Because our God always does the thing that he puts his mind to doing. He will succeed. When he finds the sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Now, if I found a sheep and I had to lay it on my shoulders, I don't know if I'd be rejoicing. I'd be complaining, maybe. Some of you shoot deer and you're, like, happy that you brought your grandson along to lug the thing back, right? And um, yet, why does the shepherd put the sheep upon his shoulders? You maybe have seen that, like, very Swedish picture of, Blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus, like walking out of the fog with like the sheep around his shoulders. It's very serene. Well, the reason is because oftentimes a sheep that had gone astray would not have been without any type of casualty. Sheep by themselves are very vulnerable to attacks, and often they would be wounded almost catastrophically. They'd be in critical condition. Almost every time a sheep went away, it was like a free meal for anything that wanted to get it. And so when the shepherd found the sheep, the sheep was alive, which is great news. But more often than not, if it wasn't wounded, it was incredibly anxious to the point of being paralyzed. And so the shepherd would have to take it, put him on his shoulders and carry it home. But notice this shepherd is rejoicing. You almost get the feeling that this shepherd is like able to like skip with the sheep on his shoulders. Coming back home, rejoicing, saying, look what I found. Look what I've got. And, and he says... Uh, to his friends, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And just so I tell you, there would be more joy in heaven over one sinner. This is the whole point. One 
sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Which means this is a very easy act in this parable for us to interpret. Jesus kind of just flat out tells us this. Listen, God is a shepherd who risks everything to get his lost sheep safe and soundly home. And he rejoices all the while. It reminds me a lot of that passage in Isaiah 53 where, where it says, you know, all of us are like sheep. All of us have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. We've been lost. We've been vulnerable. We've all been scared. We've all been unable to find our way back. I know I have, and I know you have. And we've needed the shepherd to come and find us. And no matter how highly we think of ourselves or how intelligent we think we are and how insulting to our egos this might be, isn't it comforting to know that our shepherd looks upon us as his sheep? Amen? In saying amen, you're kind of saying like, yeah, I agree, I'm a sheep. I'm a sheep. But you don't like to think you're a sheep. You like to think you're an eagle. I want to fly like an eagle, right? You're like, you're like I, I'm, I soar, man. I'm a bulldog, right? I don't know what your animal is, but you know what the Bible tells you you are? You're a sheep. You're a sheep, man. You are a sheep. And, and I'm not going to make you say it out loud, but in your heart, you're saying, I'm a sheep, right? <laughs> And this is what Jesus thought about us. You remember that time in Matthew chapter 9? Jesus uh, tells us he's, he's going from town to town. He's going to all like the, the public spaces and he's watching. He's people watching. Almost like if you went to South Lake Mall and sat on the benches, watched the people. Uh, Matthew records that Jesus saw the people and he felt compassion upon them. He felt in his heart this like this sorrow for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were just bah, going all their own bah, their way, just wandering about to and fro, aimlessly going back and forth. No one to guide them. No one to lead them. They were vulnerable. They were anxious. They were by themselves. They were just following each other into folly. I read a story this week as I brushed up on my sheep herding tactics. Um, you know, I, I study a lot for you guys. I had to learn how to be a shepherd this week, and I actually learned that not, not too long ago in, I think, Ireland, a couple sheep started off of a path. They went over a cliff, and you know what happened? The whole flock died. And you're like, we're that? And I want to say, yes, you're that. Jesus is honest with us about our propensity in life to wander about. I don't mean like just in our teenage years where you just make a couple decisions, you follow the wrong people, and you find out that you just did something dumb. That certainly happened to me. But I mean in our adult lives too, aren't we sheep? I talked to a couple adults who are in relationships together and they aren't married Oftentimes, they'll come up to me and say, Dan, we decided to move in together, but we're not married. Is that okay? And I've kind of been like, I'm, I don't need to give you a yes or no to this. I'm just going to ask you a couple questions. And so I just, the first question I ask is, um, well, why? Why did you move in? Why, why, why did you make this decision? And there's a variety of reasons that, you know, people make this decision. But every couple to a couple has said to me this, well, it was just the next thing for us to do in our relationship. I said, oh, according to who? Because I want to say to them, you know, like secular sociologists, people who don't believe in God have done the research and have actually found out statistically speaking that, you know, back in the 70s we called it shacking up. Today we call it cohabitating. Uh, it sounds a lot nicer today. 
But secular researchers have found that actually if you live together before you make vows to one another, your odds for divorce don't go down, they go way up. So you're obviously not listening to the experts, right? And you know who else you're not listening to? You know who's not giving you that advice? Is our shepherd God. He's not telling you that. And so uh, what I want to just do, the next time you, someone comes to me and asks me this, I just want to be like, bah, <laughs> you're a sheep doing what sheep do, following the whims and flows of the people that have come before us, the generations ahead of us, just doing the same thing that it is. We wander our way through making mistake after mistake, folly after folly, leading ourselves into demise. You are a sheep. And if you don't think that's true, go on Amazon.com. Tomorrow's like Prime Day. You're going to spend billions of dollars tomorrow. And um, you know what's crazy about Amazon is I go on Amazon and I think I know what I want, but I see reviews left by other people for different products that have like a billion stars. And like I think to myself, man, that many people can't be wrong. I'll get that one instead. Click. Bah. <laughs> You're sheep. On a more like honest, kind level, it, isn't it true of us that every one of us, to some extent, we, we feel the anxiety in our hearts today. We feel the anxiousness. We feel those questions of, am I parenting my kids the right way? And, and am I doing the thing that I'm supposed to do? And what is my purpose in life? And, and um, how, I don't know how this happened, but I, I've got a great job. I make lots of money, but nobody ever showed me how to manage it. So actually, I have a ton of debt. And how, how do I go through life? I wish I had a shepherd to keep me safe, to keep me connected, to keep me nourished, to keep me on the right path. And hey, hey, sheep, listen up. Here's some great news for us, right? Our true shepherd finds us, picks us up, and takes us home. Amen? We have a shepherd, the true shepherd, who knows where we are and can go get us and bring us back safely. And when he finds the lost sheep, he lays the sheep on his shoulders and he rejoices. And I don't know who told you that God was angry with you because you did a little bit of wandering. That if ever God would find you, he might condemn you because he was angry with you. Friends, that's just not our God. Amen? Praise God for the shepherd who finds the lost sheep and in their lostness picks them up and rejoices over them. It's not a God that's saying, hey, how dare you have wandered over here. He's not a God that's scolding. He's a God that gently picks you up, brings you back to take you home. He's a God that delights in picking up his children and bringing him in his arms. This is a God who's risked everything for you. Why? Well, because the risk is outweighed by the rewards. The rewards of the shepherd who finds a lost sheep and brings it back home is very basic, but it's so desirable. It's something we all want. It's just simply this. What the shepherd gets by his risk is widespread joy. Widespread joy. Joy comes into his heart as a shepherd. He found the thing that was lost. Joy comes into the heart of the neighbors. Notice this. He, he looks up to his neighbors and said, hey, come out with me and celebrate. The thing I lost has been found. And, and then look at what Jesus says at the end of this act. He says, heaven erupts with praise over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. And so listen. It's not reckless to leave a bunch of sheep in a field if at the end of the story, heaven erupts with praise for the shepherd and the glory of the shepherd. Like, come on, let's, 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 let's get our economics right today. To Jesus, the value of a soul is insurmountable that he would give anything 
that he might save you. When someone has been going through their life, they hear the voice of Jesus calling to them and they run to him and follow him as their shepherd. God is delighted and heaven explodes with God's glorious praise. And like, I wish maybe I was preaching to other people who are a little bit more excited about this. When lost people are found, look at this, the neighbors get in on the action. This, this happened this week. I want to show this picture. Um, this is one of the family members of the kids who was trapped waiting for the anxious moment when from a distance her, she would hear the news that her boy was safe. You just see on the faces of these people, on, on her face in particular, the expectant joy, the hope. And, and notice how many people are there also waiting, also anxious. The whole world joined in this week. Uh, one person who, just a, a, a person around the situation, gave this uh, quip to Time Magazine, and it ran as a headline on July 2nd. They said, I'm as happy as I could ever be in the world. When lost things are found, when precious things are found, people are happier than they've ever been in the world. We feel that around the globe. We celebrate together. But this is crucial. I want to ask you this question. Who in Act 1 of Jesus' parable did the neighbors delight in? Was it the sheep that had gone astray? Yes, sort of. The, the neighbors absolutely, though, delighted in the shepherd who did the work of finding the sheep and getting the good result. And there's a lesson in there for us because if we gather here on a Sunday, one of the attitudes that we as sheep and as of neighbors ought to have is, is to display gratitude for our God who is willing to risk it all, not just for me, but for you too. Like, how amazing is it? How amazing is it, Dan, that God doesn't just, like, like, save me, but God got you. And as we come into this, Mike, I'm like, God got you too. And, like, it's just amazing. Lord, God got you. And, I, and we come together, and it should be this, this rejoicing celebration on Sunday. I say, Dave, God got you too. Like, how amazing is our shepherd that he gets us all? This is the joy that fills us in our, in our churches which is to say that when we come together, we celebrate the ways God has saved each one of us in a manner that we give the shepherd the glory. And I don't know a better way to do this than next week what we're going to do at Lake Michigan Baptisms when sheep get in the water and they say to the rest of the sheep around them, hey, hey, my shepherd's so good that when I was lost, he found me. And the neighbors rejoice and there is widespread joy. Which is kind of why you got to be there. Kind of why like, we need you there, because joy extends out. It's not just for the shepherd, it's for the neighbors. And in celebrating the shepherd, we realize like, there is zero room for this lost sheep to brag. Like If this dumb sheep that got rescued could have told his story to the other sheep at the celebration banquet, he would not be saying, yeah, somehow I was wandering, I found myself in a valley, and I'm glad I got to that deep valley. I'm glad I got there, because when I got to that deep valley, you know who I found? I found the shepherd was waiting for me there all along. And I'm so glad I found that shepherd down in my deep valley. No, no, no. You want to know what the sheep is saying to his friends? He said, I have no idea where I was. Like, I have no idea how far away I was. I don't know if I was close, if I was far. I just, I knew I wasn't where I was supposed to be. And I was so scared. I was so anxious. And I didn't know what was going to happen. Everything was dark. And I didn't, didn't know where I was going. I thought it was over. And then I heard the shepherd call my name. I heard it. And when I heard his voice, all of a sudden my heart just became still. And when I heard it, I turned around and there he was. He had found me. And when I heard it, I walked over to him. And I followed him back here. 
And you know what all the sheep around this other dumb sheep are saying? Don't we have the best shepherd? Don't we have the most amazing shepherd? They're not saying like, whoa, man, how cool. Like it's finding Nemo. No, it's, it's, it's how good is our shepherd that he left me to get you. And this is what our God has done. He's gone out of his way. He's risked everything for us to be found. The shepherd rejoices with the sheep. The neighbors rejoice and heaven rejoices. And this is a theme we're going to see here in the last moments of our message today. Don't worry, I'm going to get you out on time, but I want to look here at the second act at Luke 15, verse 8. Jesus says this, what woman, or what woman, or is like a comparison. He's continuing his parable. This is act two. It's a new scene. What woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, she doesn't light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. When she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I found the coin that I had lost. Look at this. Just so I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We see in the first act there is one out of 100 is gone. That's 1%. In the second act we see one out of 10 is gone. That's 10%. Jesus ratcheted up the intensity here 10 times. And scholars would be point, quick to point out that the 10 silver coins in the day of Jesus was something akin to having two weeks pay, like 10 days pay. Each coin was about one day's salary. I don't know how much that is for you, but you can calculate that and figure out how much she lost. But more than just being two weeks pay, it's, it's way more than that. See, women who were engaged to be married were given a headband with a front lid on it, and the, these coins would be fashioned to what was called a semeti, and this was almost like an ancient engagement ring. It was given to her by her uh, fiancé, her husband. It was worn by her to be like her Chanel. It was like her thing. This was her tiara. It, it signified that she loved someone else, that she was a part of a family with somebody else. It signified her worth to somebody else. And to lose one of the coins was actually a very embarrassing thing. For her to have lost this would have been embarrassing in the community and to her family. So you can... It, you can imagine, like, if you lost 10% of your income, you'd kind of be angry. But if you lost this, you'd be devastated. And so it's no wonder to us that she lights a lamp. She, she goes and finds the biggest horsepower she can. You know, I, this week as we watched the, the, the cave rescue happen, I noticed these giant sort of like men in black style uh, uh, flashlights that these guys were carrying. They wanted to find the thing in the dark, and so she does. This, she lights the lamp, and she, she sweeps the house. And we're not talking like carelessly. Like we're talking a methodical searching, a methodical not going over the same place twice. Not like when you lose your keys, and you're like in one moment opening the junk drawer, and the next moment opening the refrigerator, and you're like, is it in here? No. Why am I even looking in here? No, no, no. She's not doing that. She's sweeping systematically. Why? Because the most precious things require the most thorough searches. She's trying like crazy to find the thing that is lost. And she seeks diligently, not stopping, not giving up, giving it her earnest attempt. She's so emotionally invested in this, and she seeks diligently in the midnight hour until she finds it. I have to admit, um, Acts chapter 2, in this, or this Act 2 in this parable strikes home to Kristen and I in a particularly painful way. Because it was about a year ago, um, Kristen was playing in our neighborhood pool with our kids. And um, she happened to look down at her engagement ring, which is a beautiful ring, if I do say so myself. And uh, she looked down, and the ring was there, but there was a prong missing 
and the center diamond was gone. Now you're like, Dan, I know you're like Kanye West, and you probably bought her a big rock, so it'd be easy to find. And actually, Kristen told me that had I bought her a bigger rock, it would have been easier to find. <laughs> so true. It's so true. Guys, buy bigger diamonds. So true. Um, when Kristen found it, she looked down and she started to panic. And, and uh, one of the guys, in our na- one of our neighbors, looked at her. And, I don't know. Maybe he thought, like, one of our kids was drowning or something. But she, I, ro- I, lost my, I lost my diamond. I, lost, I don't know where it is. And, and this neighbor, so grateful for him, he jumped into the pool. This is a kiddie pool, 10 feet by 20 feet by a foot deep. Okay, thank God for that. Very easy to search this area. And all of a sudden, he starts doing this, diligently sweeping the pool step by step, inch by inch, for an hour in the hot July sun, looking, searching, searching, looking, systematically trying to cover because you have a better uh, chance at getting what you're looking for if you're not going over the same track. It's not a Roomba, okay? This is a systematic approach. And do you know when he got to the end of the pool, what happened? No diamond. And Kristen, I think being emotional at this point, knowing what she lost, uh, ran to the van and started to sweep the van and um, if you have a tod- if you have three toddlers you know that goldfish salt might look like a diamond at least if you roll like the Jacobsons and sweeping that van no diamond and um, now I, for the record I'm not angry with my wife at all actually unknowing to us it was a faulty setting that was going to fail, and so, you know, whatever. It's a, it's a diamond. It's just a thing. But there's inside of me a little bit of this worry, like this woman, because I, I, I feel like we lost it in our house, okay? Like, I feel like it's at my house, and I can't, I just can't find it. And uh, it's been a year now, and I haven't replaced it, and that's on me. Uh, but every time I vacuum our house, I get the vacuum out, I have this nagging feeling in the back of my mind that I'm sucking up the most valuable rock I've ever purchased and unknowingly throwing it away. And here's what bothers me, right? I own a diamond. She owns a diamond. It's somewhere. We just don't know where. And so do we own it? Honestly, no. No. We don't. Because if you have money that you don't have access to, you don't own that money. If you have a coin that's worth whatever, it doesn't matter if you don't know where it is. And this is Jesus' point. Right here is Jesus' point, is that lost things have no power or no purpose. And lost souls have no power and no purpose until they've been found. The, the one that has been lost is, is, is just like the sheep wandering about, stumbling into who knows what. It's only once you're found and put in the, uh, the hand of the master that you're able to be put to use in purchasing something again. It's only once you're found and put in the hand of the master and still back in, the, in the, the tiara that you can be put back into the thing that you were made for. And friends, I'm here to tell you that our God has searched and our God will search for you to find the thing for which he designed you to be. He will find you diligently. He seeks for you because he knows you're worth it to him. And so I can only imagine the sheer joy when that woman found her coin. I can only imagine that she throws a huge party to celebrate the thing that was lost being recovered. 
it was, it was like a century ago that a theologian was teaching a Sunday school class on this passage, and a young boy, hearing that the woman threw a huge party over the small coin, he blurted out just innocently, what a dumb woman. She spent more on the party than the coin was even worth. And um, that's a really a harsh statement, but there's rich truth in that innocent logic because the economics don't add up, do they? And this is Jesus' point. He says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It is disproportionate praise to disproportionate grace. I'm, I'm here to tell you today that when God brings home sinners safely and soundly, there's a huge party in heaven for our God whose risky diligence brings him the greatest glory and rewards. You see, our God celebrates recklessly over us. He is a God who, who, when I say reckless, I don't mean like reckless driving, where like you're endangering the lives of people around you. To, to be reckless is simply to put at risk or to be extravagant. The Bible uses the word prodigal. The word prodigal simply means reckless or, or lavish. Our God was willing to put at risk everything to redeem and to save you. Our God put at risk everything so that you might be with him again. Our God gives reckless parties, extravagant parties to celebrate his great gifts. Why? Why? So that widespread joy might be felt throughout the world. Our God is a God who goes and finds and then celebrates as if all of heaven was erupting with praise. Why? Because he loves you. Because you are worth so much to him. Because it's his joy to find you to come what may, to endure whatever. I think of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that says, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame and now is seated on high at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. What is he doing? He's not worried about your life. He's celebrating over you. He's saying, look at my people who are called by my name who are coming after me. So friends, I'm here to tell you this morning that there's no place that you can be lost from our shepherd, from our seeking and saving God. Our God seeks us when we don't feel worthy to be found. He saves us when we feel like we're lost and we're about to be devoured. He finds us in the deep midnight hour when we think all is lost. And he left his home on high to descend to us and he'll put you on his shoulders and he'll carry you, bringing you safely home. And when he does, all of heaven erupts with the glory and praise of the shepherd. Amen.